Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirshner. When will charges be brought against Donald Trump for New York state crimes, and why has New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg made the choice to proceed now? Here's Glenn. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Justice Matters, my new audio podcast. It drops three times a week, and on the weekends, what we do is we sit down at the kitchen table, at least figuratively, and we talk about a couple of things. First of all, we recap the legal stories of the past week. What were the biggest stories on the legal landscape, or what I sometimes call the legal hellscape, particularly since 2016? What are the biggest legal stories of the week? What do they mean? And what do they suggest moving forward? Where are we headed on the justice front? And after we do a a quick legal recap of the stories of the week, we'll turn to a big question. What is broken in our government? And how do we fix it? We'll take on challenging issues of reform. Criminal justice reform, court reform, police reform, and today's topic, reforming ethics in government. Yes, that's a big topic. That's a heavy lift. But friends, our discussions about reform are not going to be some highfalutin, pie-in-the-sky stuff, stuff that's not achievable, not realistic, not doable. It's going to be the exact opposite. It's going to be stuff we can do. Frankly, it's going to be stuff we must do. And friends, today's topic, reforming ethics in government. You know, I know the joke is that government ethics is an oxymoron, right? Well, Today's discussion, Reforming Ethics in Government, involves just 22 words. I know you're saying to yourself, yeah, right, Glenn, 22 words and we're going to reform ethics in government. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why these 22 words have a real chance of changing the culture in government service, in military service, in federal service, 22 words. And friends, I'm going to need all Team Justice members to jump in on this one if you find this discussion persuasive. And with one quick email or with one short phone call, we can actually begin to affect change. Changing the culture regarding government ethics. So bear with me. We're going to talk about the legal recap first, and then we're going to move on to the topic of reforming ethics in government, or as I often refer to it, the need for a renaissance of ethics in government. But friends, let's start with the legal recap. And I'm going to hit maybe three stories, but I may throw in a bonus story about Donald Trump going out for ice cream. Yeah, that's right. Getting himself a cone. But the first story I want to focus on is Donald Trump's desperate and dangerous posts on social media, not only his posts, but what he is reposting from others, from his supporters, from his base, from his followers. The first story involves Donald Trump's desperate and dangerous posts on social media. Not only what he's posting, but what he is reposting that his supporters, his followers, his base have been posting and why it is so darn dangerous. And then we're going to couple that with the Department of Justice's deafening silence. 
Well, friends, here's what Donald Trump recently reposted from one of his followers on his third-rate social media platform, Truth Social, the ironically named Truth Social. One of his followers said, and he reposted, quote, it's not going to happen again, referring to Trump being denied the presidency, quote, people my age and older will physically fight for him this time. What have we got to lose? I'll donate the rest of my time here on this planet to do it. And I know many, many others who feel the same. We are locked and loaded. Close quote. And Donald Trump reposted that. Now, friends, if there's any good news surrounding this story, and there's not much, Donald Trump's repost got, you know, less than two or 3,000 likes and, you know, a few thousand reposts. So at least it looks like not that many of his supporters are really locked and loaded, are really willing to fight to the death for Donald Trump if he's not reinstalled, you know, as president in 2024. But still, it highlights the continued danger that Donald Trump presents to the American people, to our democracy. And none of that surprises me. Donald Trump is what he is. But what will forever surprise me is the continued deafening silence of the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice that has more than enough evidence 10 times over, not only to indict him, for which you only need probable cause, but to convict him at trial. And yes, it's a high evidentiary burden, proof beyond a reasonable doubt at trial, but boy, they have that and then some. So I'm not gonna beat up on DOJ, I'm just gonna say, come on DOJ, come on Jack Smith, and while we're at it, come on Fawny Willis, come on Alvin Bragg, district attorney in New York, we'll talk about developments up in New York in a minute, but come on prosecutors of our nation, indict Donald Trump for the crimes he inarguably committed, the crimes you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Coming up next, Congressman Jim Jordan has been asking for information from the DOJ about the Biden classified document scandal. He's not going to get it. This is Justice Matters. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan is demanding details of the DOJ's investigation of President Biden's classified documents case, but the DOJ has denied him this request. Here's Glenn. Legal story number two. Representative Jim Jordan, who is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, or what I think we need to rename, at least temporarily, while Jordan and other insurrectionists are populating the House Judiciary Committee. We should probably just call it what it is, you know, the House Committee to Obstruct Justice. Well, Jim Jordan sends a letter to the Department of Justice saying, we want information, you know, privileged information, non-public information about your ongoing criminal probes. And I was heartened when the Department of Justice this week sent its reply to Jim Jordan. And it's about a three-page reply, but I can sum it up in two words. 
DOJ told Jim Jordan, pound sand. Let me read just one sentence of the DOJ response to Jim Jordan. They say, although Congress has a clearly legitimate interest in determining how the Department of Justice enforces statutes, congressional inquiries during the pendency of a matter, that is a criminal investigation, pose an inherent threat to the integrity of the department's law enforcement and litigation functions. Disclosures to Congress about active investigations risk jeopardizing those investigations and creating the appearance that Congress may be exerting improper political pressure or attempting to influence department decisions in certain cases. Perish the thought. Would Jim Jordan and his fellow insurrectionists on the House Judiciary Committee to Obstruct Justice, Jim Jordan and his fellow insurrectionists in Congress, would they dream of trying to impact DOJ's prosecutorial decisions about, you know, who should be prosecuted for the insurrection or other crimes? Would they dream of trying to interfere in ongoing DOJ criminal investigations? Of course they would. And that is precisely why the Department of Justice told Jim Jordan in substance to pound sand. Because let's not forget, friends, it's not only that we have insurrectionists in Congress and on the Judiciary Committee and other committees, but we have insurrectionists in Congress who asked for pardons for the crimes they knew they committed on and around January 6th. So, you know, why would those folks have any interest in trying to interfere with DOJ's ongoing investigations? Okay, friends, the third and final recap story. New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg reopened or reinvigorated his investigation into the crimes of Donald Trump surrounding Trump's $130,000 payoff of porn star Stormy Daniels to keep her mouth shut in the run-up to the 2016 election. So basically, Donald Trump paid to deprive the American voters of relevant information, you know, thereby in a very real sense, kind of robbing us of the true value of our vote. It was a crime he committed as part of a conspiracy with his former attorney, Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen went to jail for it, pleaded guilty to it, committed the crimes at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has not suffered one minute of accountability for it. Well, if this reporting is to be believed, is to be credited, it looks like District Attorney Alvin Bragg may be trying to change that. He said with the skepticism obvious in his voice. Okay, let's just unpack this story and break it down. First of all, if Alvin Bragg really wanted to prosecute Donald Trump, he could have done it previously, right? I don't want to sort of rehash everything, the parade of horribles that has unfolded in New York in the district attorney's office. But remember, Alvin Bragg's top prosecutors, Mark Pomerantz and others, had investigated Donald Trump, you know, long and hard and well and aggressively and thoroughly and came to the conclusion they have more than enough evidence to both indict and convict Donald Trump. And they presented that recommendation to Alvin Bragg and he killed the investigation. He rejected their recommendation and instead he went to trial only against the Trump organization for the many financial frauds the organization, the company, the corporation had been committing for 15 years, a 15 year criminal scheme to defraud in the first degree, basically long time chronic tax fraud being perpetrated by the Trump organization and by its chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg. Weisselberg pleaded guilty, he testified at trial, and the Trump organization was convicted on all counts, basically spelling the death knell for the Trump organization eventually. Tish James is trying to put the 
final nail in the coffin with her quarter of a billion dollar civil suit against Donald Trump and his children and the Trump organization. So listen, Trump organization is, is dead and stinking, as we used to say. But Alvin Bragg decided not to prosecute Donald Trump, which made zero sense to anybody, particularly to former career prosecutors who, you know, understand what it means when the prosecutorial team makes a recommendation to the district attorney that we've got the goods and we should go to trial against Donald Trump. And the district attorney said no. Well, now, I don't know, maybe Alvin Bragg is playing catch up because now he's like, oof, uh, looks like Phony Willis may indict him. It looks like we had the goods to prosecute him successfully in the Trump org case, even though we didn't. Maybe I need to get off the dime and actually get in the business of prosecuting Donald Trump because we've got the evidence to do so. So Alvin Bragg is now allegedly reinvigorated his investigation of the Stormy Daniels hush money payments. And here is some very brief reporting from the New York Times, and then we'll move on to ethics in government, which I can't tell you how excited I am to talk about these 22 words. So bear with me another few minutes during the recap, friends. Here's the reporting from the New York Times. The headline reads, Manhattan prosecutors will begin presenting Trump case to grand jury. That's a good thing. And the article reads in part, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office on Monday began presenting evidence to a grand jury about Donald Trump's role in paying hush money to a porn star during his 2016 presidential campaign, laying the groundwork for potential criminal charges against the former president in the coming months, according to people with knowledge of the matter. The grand jury was recently impaneled and the beginning of witness testimony represents a clear signal that the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, is nearing a decision about whether to charge Mr. Trump. Now, the first thing I will say is I will believe that Alvin Bragg will indict Donald Trump for any crime once I see an indictment publicly released. That's when I'll believe it because you're not going to fool me twice, D.A. Bragg. But there are any number of reasons that Bragg is reinvigorating this investigation now. Let's tick through them quickly. The first reason, the criminal trial against the Trump organization may have been, no pun intended, a trial run, a trial balloon, right, to see how the witnesses performed when the prosecution had to call them at trial and have them testify about the crimes of the Trump organization. And so maybe now Bragg is feeling his oats a little bit because he's convicted the Trump organization. That trial went well. Maybe he is emboldened and ready to move on to do the hard work of prosecuting Donald Trump personally for his crimes. Two, when those witnesses appeared, Alan Weisselberg and others at the Trump org trial, prosecutors got to kick the tires of those witnesses. How did they perform? How did they withstand cross-examination by the defense attorneys representing Trump Org, trying to persuade the jury Trump Org did not participate in a 15-year-long criminal tax fraud scheme. And the jury said, uh, yes, they did, as did Alan Weisselberg. And as we all know, friends, as did Donald Trump. Why do I say we know that? Well, the prosecutors at the Trump Org trial argued to the jury in closing Ladies and gentlemen, the evidence that you have seen during this trial proves that Donald Trump personally approved the fraud, which makes it all the curiouser that Donald Trump wasn't indicted as part of that case in the first instance. But moving on, reason number three, that Alvin Bragg may now be ready to prosecute Donald Trump for tax fraud and other crimes Remember that Donald Trump's tax returns at long last were released first to Congress and then to the American people. And it looks like some of what we've learned is he took the $130,000 hush money payment, the sort of bribe to bury that deeply damaging information from the American voters. He took it as business deductions. That's wrong. That's fraud. That's a crime. And maybe those revelations in Donald Trump's tax returns have emboldened 
district attorney Bragg to move toward indicting Donald Trump. Reason number four, Fawny Willis looks like she is on the verge of indicting Donald Trump. And Fawny Willis is a fellow state prosecutor, just as Alvin Bragg is a state prosecutor. Maybe he doesn't want to be overshadowed. Maybe he doesn't want to be left in the dust when it comes to actually protecting the taxpayers of New York against Donald Trump's crimes and vindicating the crimes that have been committed by Donald Trump against the taxpayers of New York. So, you know, maybe he doesn't want to play second fiddle to Fawny Willis, but let me just tell you my impression is D.A. Bragg is no Fawny Willis. Fawny Willis throughout has struck me as a strong, determined, aggressive, honorable, without fear or favor prosecutor who I have come to greatly admire given the way she's been doing business in Fulton County, Georgia. And then the fifth reason, friends, and the final reason Bragg might now feel like he's got to move out. Mark Pomerantz, the lead prosecutor against Donald Trump and the Trump org until he said he wanted to indict Donald Trump and Bragg said no and Pomerantz resigned in protest over that particular injustice. Pomerantz has written a book. Who hasn't? Pomerantz has written a book and I think we're about to learn more about just how strong the case is against Donald Trump and just how unjust and inappropriate it was for D.A. Bragg to kill that investigation rather than indict Donald Trump. So now maybe he's trying to get ahead of the revelations that are coming in Pomerantz's book. Okay, friends, the last thing I want to mention before we move on to those 22 words, before we move on to the topic of reforming ethics in government, is Donald Trump's trip to the ice cream parlor, getting himself a cone. You know, there were pictures posted on social media this past week of Donald Trump enjoying ice cream at an ice cream parlor, taking pictures with some of the other folks who were getting ice cream at the time. And when I saw those pictures posted on social media, all I could think of was the man who launched a violent attack on the Capitol on January 6th, trying to unlawfully and unconstitutionally retain the power of the presidency, is out getting ice cream while his supporters that believed his lies about their vote being stolen, that believed his lies about the election being rigged, that believed his lies about their president being unlawfully taken from them, his supporters, his followers, who listened to him when he said, come to D.C. on January 6th, it will be wild, who listened to him during his you know, pre-insurrection pep rally on the ellipse on January 6th, when he told them, you will not take back your country with weakness. You must show strength. You must fight like hell or you won't have a country anymore. You must march on the Capitol. Now go and stop the steal. Stop the certification of Joe Biden's election win. Donald Trump's out getting ice cream while many of them are in prison. If that is not the supreme injustice, I don't know what is. And that's got to change because justice matters. Coming up next, was Vice President Mike Pence breaking the law by not turning in Donald Trump when he asked him to refuse to certify the election win of Joe Biden? This is Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Was Donald Trump unlawfully pressuring Vice President Mike Pence to refuse to certify the election win of President Biden? And was Mike Pence breaking the law by not reporting it? Here's Glenn. Okay, friends, let's turn to ethics reform. Reforming ethics in government, or as I've often referred to it over the years, the need for a renaissance of ethics in government. Now, first of all, do I need to spend much time talking about or trying to convince you of the fact that we need ethics reform in government? I didn't think so. But I will use one concrete example of exactly why we need to reform this culture. This culture, particularly these days in our federal government, when high government officials or government employees will sit on crime or corruption or misconduct by their fellow government officials and employees, only to divulge it later in a book for profit. And we're going to talk concretely about one example where we have seen that play out, frankly, to the great detriment of the security of our country. So we will touch on one example, but I don't think we need to spend a lot of time sort of laying the groundwork for why we need to try to reform ethics in government. But friends, let's start with this. How can we have an impact? How can we affect change? Is it really possible Right? Is it possible to wrestle with this monster that is the problem of ethics in our federal government and actually expect to make any progress? And the answer to that question is absolutely. And why do I say the answer is absolutely? Because, you know, I decided when I saw a problem in our government for the 30 plus years, I was inside as a federal government employee, when I saw a problem, the minute I left government, when I retired from the Department of Justice in 2018, I decided I'm gonna take a crack at doing something about it. And lo and behold, it actually worked. And friends, if I can do it, anybody can do it. If I can do it, we can do it. And I think we will do it. And I'm not going to talk about how I saw this problem and I decided I would try to do something to fix it. I talked about it in last week's podcast. It had to do with the unsolved murder cases that we have in this country, the cold cases, more than a quarter of a million of them that are going uninvestigated and unsolved. I decided when I saw family after family after family suffering because the murder of their loved one was going unworked, uninvestigated by police departments, largely because of a resource issue. But still, I decided to take a crack at trying to do something to fix it. And it took me a few years, but lo and behold, in August of 2022, President Biden signed into law the Homicide Victims Families Rights Act, which is how I decided I would try to fix the problem. And I will be eternally grateful for the assistance, the willingness of Representative Eric Swalwell to hear me out on what I was proposing and then let me work with his legislative team to make this a reality. Again, I talk more about that in last week's podcast. The only reason I refer to it again here is because, yes, we can have an impact. We can make a difference. We can actually fix problems that we see in our government. We, you, me, Team Justice, we can do it. So now let me turn to that one concrete example that I promised to share. Former Vice President Mike Pence. He wrote a book about his experiences when he was Donald Trump's Vice President. One of those experiences was Donald Trump unlawfully pressuring him to refuse to certify the election win of Joe Biden. That's a crime. You are trying to persuade a government official to violate the law, the Electoral Count Act, 
and corruptly declare the loser of the presidential election as the winner of the presidential election. Mike Pence saw Donald Trump committing crimes, democracy-busting crimes, in real time to try to unlawfully and unconstitutionally retain the power of the presidency, and Mike Pence did nothing about it. He didn't report it. He didn't raise it. He didn't surface it. And he's no hero because he refused to buckle to Donald Trump's pressure campaign and Donald Trump's threats that if you don't do this, if you don't violate the law and deny Joe Biden his win and install me as president for a second term, even though I lost, if you don't do it, I won't be your friend anymore. Yeah, what are we, 12? But that is some of what was reported. Some of what Donald Trump said in his pressure campaign. These are crimes, friends. These are crimes. Crimes that Mike Pence knew about. I mean, some of the most serious democracy-busting crimes imaginable. And Mike Pence did nothing to report them. But what he did do is he told us all about them. When he published a book for profit after he left the vice presidency. Are you kidding me? Isn't that ethics turned on its head? And friends, not only is what Mike Pence did deeply unethical and undemocratic and un-American, but it was also arguably a crime. What crime did he commit by hiding the crimes of Donald Trump? Well, there's a crime in the federal law called misprision of a felony. It's 18 United States Code Section 4, misprision of a felony. Misprision is a fancy word for hide or conceal. But, you know, lawyers always have to make things sound more complicated than they are. Why? You know, I guess it's to generate more billable hours for their clients he said cynically. <laughs> but misprision of a felony, what is that? Well, here is how that federal statute reads. Whoever, having knowledge of the actual commission of a felony, cognizable by a court of the United States, conceals and does not as soon as possible make known the same to some judge or other person, in civil or military authority under the United States shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than three years or both. So yes, Mike Pence hiding the crimes of Donald Trump only to disclose them later in a book for profit may very well constitute the federal crime of misprision of a felony because he had knowledge of the commission of that crime it is a crime cognizable by a court of the United States. In other words, it's a federal crime. He concealed it and did not as soon as possible make it known to the proper authorities. So from where I sit with the available facts, it looks like Mike Pence probably committed the crime of misprision of a felony. So friends, need I go on? Or are we convinced that we are in desperate need of ethics reform in government, particularly when crimes like this, when deeply unethical behavior like this is committed by the vice president of the United States? Okay, so how do we go about even beginning to reform ethics in government? Remember I said 22 words? 22 words, I think, that have a chance of moving us forward in the direction of reforming ethics in government. When we enter federal service, whether in the military or as civilians, we join the federal government workforce or we become appointed as high government officials in, for example, the executive branch, we take an oath of office. Stay with me here, friends. We take an oath of office and that oath is prescribed by federal law, by statute. It's 5 United States Code 3331, the oath of office. And I know before you kind of leap to the argument that, yeah, but people violate the oath of office all the time. I agree with you. 
you know, just like any number of Trump officials and Trump himself violated their oath of office. But stay with me here. First, I want to read the oath of office. And then I want to add 22 words that I think can move us in the direction of change. Here is how the oath of office reads. I'm going to insert my name. I took this oath as a, an army JAG when I first entered active duty back in the 80s. I took this oath as a federal government employee when I left the army and joined the Department of Justice, specifically the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, and my then United States Attorney Eric Holder administered this oath to me. Here's how the oath reads. I, Glenn Kirshner, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter, so help me God. That's the oath of office that all military members and federal government officials and employees take. And friends, now we're going to add just 22 words to the oath of office. I, Glenn Kirshner, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And here it comes, friends. And. I will report promptly all instances of crime and or corruption by government officials and employees of which I become aware. Those are the 22 words. And that means every single member of the federal government, military and civilian will be obligated. It will be their sworn duty to promptly report the crimes of other federal government employees or officers. They will be required to do it. No more Mike Pence's hiding, burying, sitting on the crimes of Donald Trump only to disclose them later and profit by publishing a book. You know, misprision of a felony, the federal crime would seem to cover that conduct by Mike Pence, and he's not alone. Think about the other former Trump officials who published books and revealed Donald Trump's misconduct. Guys like John Bolton and Mike Pompeo and Bill Barr. I mean, the administration was full of them, right? And if misprision of a felony, if that federal law effectively addressed this problem, well, then we wouldn't need to add those 22 words to the oath of office, would we? But I can tell you, friends, in my more than 30 years, with the federal government, I can't recall a single instance of a charge of misprision of a felony being brought, being indicted, being tried. So feels like it's kind of a dead law, a dead statute. It's not used when it could be used by prosecutors. So let's up the ante. Let's put that language in the oath of office so that it will be not only the expectation that people will turn in other government officials and employees who are committing crime. You know, whistleblowers sometimes do that now. I'm going to talk about whistleblowers in a minute. It's not just the expectation that they will do so. It is their sworn obligation to do so. Okay, so let's kick the tires of this edition, these 22 words that I propose adding to the oath of office. First of all, some people will say, look, we already have whistleblower statutes, whistleblower protection. So if somebody inside government really wants to blow the whistle, wants to expose government crimes or corruption or fraud, waste and abuse, we have a vehicle to do that. And we have some protections in place for that brave person who blows the whistle. Doesn't the whole notion of the need for whistleblower protection sort of undercut the obligation of everybody to report crimes by fellow government officials and employees. I mean, it shouldn't be that it is this dramatic occurrence when somebody blows the whistle, right? 
But let's face it, it often is. Look at what Colonel Alexander Vindman did when he blew the whistle on Donald Trump's crimes, extorting and bribing President Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, and Donald Trump used congressional funds to do it. He said, in substance, to President Zelensky, I know you want more military weaponry to protect your people against unlawful Russian aggression, but I need a favor, though, before I deliver the funds that Congress already appropriated to you. I need you to announce a bogus investigation into my political opponent, Joe Biden. You don't have to investigate him. Just announce that you are so I can run with it. And I can, you know, corruptly tell everybody, well, you can't vote for Joe Biden. He's being investigated by Ukraine. And what happened when Colonel Vindman blew the whistle, did what was, I'm sure, difficult, but what a stand-up thing to do. What happened? He virtually lost his military career because of the retaliation of Trump and his criminal associates. So just the fact that we have the possibility of blowing the whistle with lots of protections that come with it, that sends the signal that blowing the whistle is bad and dangerous and you should probably think twice or maybe three times before you do it. Well, how about we change the culture? We change the expectation inside government. Not only can you blow the whistle, you are obligated by your oath of office to promptly report crime or corruption by fellow government officials and employees of which you become aware. Gone are the days of whistleblowers and whistleblower protection if it is now your sworn duty to report crimes of federal officers and employees. So here's another concern people might have. Well, wait a minute. If everybody is required to out, to expose, to report the crimes and corruption of everybody else in government, you're turning the whole government into snitches. And that's not good, is it? And I use the word snitch advisedly, and I use it because I think it has negative connotations, right? I don't think it should. I don't think it's the right word. When you're reporting the crimes of others, particularly crimes against the people of the United States, federal crimes, that's not a bad thing or a negative thing. So you're just kind of doing what's right. You're doing what's responsible. You're not being a snitch to the extent that word has negative connotations. But some people might say it just feels uncomfortable to have everybody in a position to snitch on or narc out everybody else in the federal government. Here's what I would say about that. Think about this. If you're driving your car and you're speeding and you see a marked police car ahead of you on the shoulder, kind of positioned, ready to pull over speeders. What do you do? You slow down. If you're like me, you slow down. And what does that tell us? Well, if you know there are people that are looking to get you in trouble for doing wrong, if you know there are people who, if they see you doing wrong, there will be consequences. You will be reported. You will be held accountable. You know what, friends? The wrongdoers, the Mike Pences and the Mike Pompeos and the John Boltons and the Bill Bars and so many others will, I would argue, be less inclined to do wrong because they know there is an extremely enhanced likelihood they're going to be caught. They're going to be reported. So guess what? I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing that we turn everybody in the federal government into that police cruiser waiting to pull over a speeder. If it's everybody's obligation to turn in criminal and corrupt government officials, then I think that will deter crimes and corruption by government officials, not rocket science. That's just sort of basic human nature. So even the people who are, yes, still likely to disregard their oath of office or likely to violate the law by hiding the crimes of Donald Trump, I think those people will think twice or three times about whether they can commit that crime, whether they can cover up that crime, and whether they can get away with that crime. 
And I have a feeling if the culture and the expectation and the obligation was for everybody in government service, the hundreds of thousands of people, if the obligation is to report crime and corruption as your sworn duty when you take the oath of office, boy, I think we would be in a far better place than we are right now. Coming up next, will we be able to reform ethics in government by changing the laws? This is Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Reporting a crime in government is somewhat arbitrary, but is it possible to restructure the oath of office so that government workers will be required to do so? Here's Glenn. Okay, friends, so if you think this sounds like a good idea, adding these 22 words to the oath of office, making it every federal government officer and employee's obligation to report crime and corruption by government officials and government employees. The next logical question is, what can we do about it? Well, here is something that I think we can do about it together. I'm in touch with my elected representatives in Washington, specifically on this very issue, and you can be too. And here's all you have to do. If you're interested in beginning to blast this out to our elected representatives, our members of Congress, our senators, and beyond, all you have to do is go to my website. I will say my newly launched website. Yes, it took me almost five years since I left the federal government to finally put a website together with the help of some terrific people. You can go to my website and just click on the contact Glenn button, the contact button, and drop me a quick email saying I'm interested in participating. And what I'll do is I will email you a paragraph that is something you can just forward to your elected representatives. And yes, some of you might say, well, I'm in a red state. It's not going to get any traction. That's not really the point. We blast it out and blast it out and blast it out. I will be working the project here in real time with my elected representatives. And the more traction this idea gets and the more widely we can blast it out, the better. And we can do this together. We can do this as one of our team justice projects. And I'm telling you, I'm going to keep swinging and swinging and swinging. I'm going to go down swinging if I have to. But I am determined to make some progress on reforming you know, ethics in government because, listen, I have kids, I have grandkids, I'm sure many of you have kids, you have grandkids, and we have to fight this battle. We have to because we're going to be turning over this country to our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. And look at the mess that Trump and his criminal associates have left us with. And the mess that they're still creating to this very day, you know, at least until the indictments begin to drop. And the indictments are coming, friends. The indictments are coming. I'm not a high roller. My betting limit is $1. I would bet a buck. Indictments are coming. And I think it's our responsibility to fight for the future generations, to reform ethics in government, to you know, try to see a renaissance of ethics in government in our lifetime. So if you're interested, please go to my website, glennkirshner.com. Pretty intuitive, I guess. 
If you go to glennkirshner.com and you hit the contact button, let me know you're interested in getting the word out, the 22-word addition to the Oath of Office. I will send you a paragraph that will be prepackaged and ready to be forwarded anywhere you believe it should be forwarded. And together, we're going to make some progress. We may even make some change. So friends, before I end this weekend edition of Justice Matters, let me tell you where else you can find me in the event you're interested in finding me anywhere else. I have a YouTube channel called Justice Matters, coincidentally. So you can find me on YouTube. I post a daily legal analysis video. If you want to find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, I am Glenn Kirshner 2. Hopefully someday I will graduate to Glenn Kirshner 1. But for the time being, you can find me under the handle Glenn Kirshner 2 on those other platforms. And if you want to more formally become involved in the team justice efforts that we are working, feel free to come over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron. You'll get some behind the scenes glimpses of what it is we do here at Justice Matters, which is an all-volunteer endeavor, and we're up and running seven days a week. You can go over to patreon.com, sign up to become a patron, and if you do, I will send you some Team Justice and Justice Matters stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks. You know, I don't have a team. I don't have a staff. It's essentially my wife and I kind of working this all day, every day, seven days a week, taking on the justice missions that we feel strongly about, that we feel passionately about. So if you want to join Team Justice proper, come on over to patreon.com. And in the meantime, friends, I will meet with you again here at our kitchen table next weekend. As I mentioned, during the week, there will be two other podcasts that drop, and those will be compilations of my daily YouTube legal analysis videos. So you can catch up with Justice Matters on audio podcasts during the week, and then we'll be back here next Saturday to talk about the next government reform topic because we've got a lot to tackle. We've got a lot to reform. And, you know, we're all in this mess together, but that is precisely how we will get through this mess together. So friends, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters. <laughs>